Today's reading is from James 1, 13 to 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. I get more response out of the drum solo in the roof than I get out of you guys. My heart is so full, I have camped in this text and probably have overprepared, but I've kind of really wanted to wrestle with this passage. And uh, as I've wrestled, uh, just recently, I've become aware of just how weighty the challenge is to fully embrace this. And the problem is if you only hear this part that we've read today uh, uh, in isolation from the introduction, which you have already come through, I just want to say there's a mixture in James chapter 1 of what I call gold and shadow. Gold and shadow. It's important that we get this. Because right at the front when James writes this letter, makes his introduction, he addresses it to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. This is a metaphor for Jewish Christians who've been through persecution, dispersed into numbers of house churches. And uh, what I love about it is he's using this identity language, the 12 tribes, refers to to this, uh, this identity as the people of God, borrowing from the Old Testament the people of God. So important that you hear what I have to say today. If your faith is in Jesus, then you have received what other writers in the New Testament called elective grace. You have been made by sheer mercy of God to be included in something that can never change. It's eternal. You are the elect of God. You are the people of God. So important to get that. You don't uh, get on the hamster wheel of generating an identity. You've been given this identity. James goes on and he says, to to my brothers and sisters. And just think about it. James was the biological brother, sort of, virgin birth and all that. He was the biological brother of Jesus. But he doesn't ever appeal to, hey, you know, rock of ages, I'm a chip off the old block. He doesn't use that language at all. He says to my brothers and sisters, there's as the people of God, we are brothers and sisters. We are sons and daughters. Identity language again. If we don't hear what I'm going to share from this passage that's been read to us, if we don't hear it through the lens of gold, that's who we are. We don't have to generate identity. It's been conferred on us by the gospel. We have been delivered from the tyranny of self-generating an identity. And so if you're new to church and new to faith, I remember so clearly, so much of my life was spent trying to get an identity. And you either, you'd either insource it, I'm responsible, so we self-identify as this or that or the other, or we outsource it. We become an echo of groupthink, crowd dynamics. We never become... And the gospel is the divine interruption in that. It just gives us this new identity. 
So it's so important that we hear this passage. So I want to pray and I want to ask for God to bring his helpfulness to us so that we hear it in the security of gold while the shadow is addressed in this passage. That part of us that we're still wrestling with. And so we're not wrestling with it to be able to get an identity. No, we've got our identity. It's settled forever. But we do need to overcome our shadows. And so let's ask the Lord for, to help us. Lord, I want to thank you for the privilege of serving your amazing people, and particularly this incredible community. Thank you for the Bloberg family of faith, the common ground expression of it. Thank you for just the joy and the privilege that Sue and I feel to serve Christ, to serve you among your people and in your people. Won't you come to us today in the power of the Spirit? Let your word free us. Let it liberate us. Let it reorientate us to be a people of gold in your kingdom who are learning increasingly to overcome our shadows for the glory of your name. Amen. Cool. So just to get our appetite, because this is, passage is all about temptation. I don't want to reread it for the sake of time. But uh, I read this story about a guy, you know, really like, like, got on the scale and he heard that little recording that the scale spoke out and said, one at a time, please. So he's a little overweight. So he's now wanting to, to get victory and now he's on his way to work and he says, uh, Lord, you know how much I, I love a good coffee in the morning and a, and a donut, uh, but I'm determined not to give in to that temptation and you know that that place is on the way to work where there's fantastic donuts. So he's, he's driving and he sort of starts to reason with the Lord. This is how temptation works. He, he starts to reason. He says, Lord, if I drive past there and there's a parking place in front of the donut shop, then I'll know that you're giving me permission to like, like, you know. And can you believe it? After seven trips around the block, there was a parking right outside there. <laughs> it's silly, but I want us to identify the fact that that shadow part of us has a way of doing deals. You know, I know, and I got that shadow part. So, what James is trying to address in this passage is if you're a follower of Jesus, if your identity is in Christ, he, he's wanting to coach us on how to overcome temptation. Because just because you've got a new nature, which the Bible calls the new man, not in James, but sort of macro picture, it doesn't mean we don't have this old man with some of its old habits and old baggage. As somebody once said, you might have Jesus in your heart, but you've got grandpa in your bones. <laughs> so there's a sense in which, uh, uh, you know, God allows all kinds of stuff. And I mean, we read it in the first part, what you've already done around trials. God uh, allows trials. Uh, the translation I used in my notes is about from James chapter, uh, from verse 12 through to 15. In verse 13, or verse 12, he talks about uh, uh, trials that approve us. 
See, whatever God approves, he proves. Other translations talks about God allows trials come, to come to our life because he wants to test us. This is not, that's the first part. We're not dealing with that. I just want you to understand the difference. Same Greek word between trials and temptations. So, but they're not the same. Just because the words are the same, there's a context. There's a way James uses them. So it says with trials, which very often are external, and God uh, allows in our life, sometimes he commissions them because he wants to approve us. He's not, it's not a test to fail us. It's a test to mature us and muscle us up and move us on in our journey of discipleship. But when temptations come, very often we're inclined to think those are all outside. Well, the triggers might be external. But the triggers are are things that are appealing to things that Paul describes, or James describes as internal. Talks about these, these, uh, uh, what he calls lusts of the flesh or disproportionate or inordinate desires inordinate desires. And in, when he talks about that, these worldly desires, James probably, some of the commentators say, he had in mind that whole scenario in Proverbs chapter 7, where uh, a young man described as a simple man is walking down a road. And uh, a simple man in the Bible is not a dwarf simple. Simple there is, the Hebrew is, means unformed one, unformed. It's about, you're so immature, you can't see the trap of temptation you're walking into. And God is out to rescue us, open our eyes to some of this. And so uh, he succumbs to sexual enticement, this, uh, this simple man. And uh, he... he First mistake he makes, he, he lives too close to where the danger is, or he walks too close. He walks past a house. And as luck would have it in his language, as he walks past her house, she happens to just walk out. And as luck would happen again, he finds out that the husband has gone away on a trip. And in this language, uh, uh, the, the wise man Solomon says, with her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly, he, f- uh, he follows her as an ox to the slaughter or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver. I mean, this is graphic. As a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life, and then it concludes with these words, for many are the victims she has cast down. Just very quickly, whether it's a he or a she doing the seducing, it's equally powerful. Don't get caught on the gender side. We are both, all of us, susceptible to these kind of temptations. For many are the victims she or he has cast down, and numerous are his or her slain. His or her house is the way to shield, descending, to the chambers of death. Can you see if we didn't get the gold up front, we'd be hearing and despairing at the same time. We don't want to do that. And so here's this. I'm going to just nail this passage in what I think is a very helpful uh, framework. Uh, Did I say we were going to pray and I didn't pray? 
Didn't I pray? I'm going to, I did pray. Just want to make sure that you, your faith went out to those prayers because I can tell you I need the helpfulness of God as, as we do this. Um, I, I believe James is coaching us on how to av- avoid dangerous temptations by helping us to recognize just three things. Temptation's source, temptation's force, and temptation's course. So you're going to remember that for the rest of your life, hopefully. So to overcome temptation, firstly, we need to recognize its source. And the passage, verse, verse 13 says, let no one say uh, when he or she is tempted. It's not, remember, when. It's, it's not if, it's when. We are all going to be tempted in this, tempted in this world. We're going to be tempted. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. The message translation says, don't let anyone under, don't let anyone under pressure give in to evil, saying, God is trying to trip me up. God is impervious to evil and puts evil in no one's way. And so God's out to, through test, stress, test our, our faith, but in temptation, God may permit it in the grand scheme of things, but he is not originating temptation, and that's very important. That that's what the passage uh, is saying, uh, and, and he's identifying at the heart of this that it's our indwelling old sinful nature that has not been totally eradicated. And so two things to recognize. Firstly, temptation never comes from God, and we must never blame him for anything when it comes to temptation. Like Adam and Eve, they did that sort of round-robin kind of blaming trip. Uh, uh, Adam lamely says, the woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me from the tree, so it's, it's all her fault. And when God confronts Eve, she says, uh, the serpent deceived me. So there's the sort of blame game, and both of them are dodging responsibility. That's like part of what the fall did. It made us want to deflect our responsibility. And, uh, and, and, and James wants to show us very clear, if we go down that road of blaming, we will never, ever overcome our temptation. I mean, there's a humorous version of that in the Old Testament. We remember Aaron makes the, takes the gold and silver from all the Israelites, and then he makes this golden calf, and Moses comes and says, what have you done? He says, no, well, I, I just asked the people for all this gold and silver, and I threw it in the fire. Out jumped this calf. Ridiculous. Of course, he was deflecting. He was blaming. And so James, James is na- nailing the sinful line of deflecting with with these words, he says that God cannot himself be tempted by evil. 1 John 1 and verse 5 says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all, or shadow in God. Your eyes are too pure to prove evil. Habakkuk 1 verse 13 says, so okay, if it's not God, big point, under temptation source, where does it come from? And temptation comes from our own sinful desires, as we've mentioned. Not primarily the devil. The devil may tempt us like he did Adam and Eve, 
Uh, and ever since then, uh, sometimes he's been able to leave us to our own fallen nature. That notion that, uh, you know, every time we do something wrong, it's the devil, or take authority over the devil, bind the devil. You need to know, Jesus says, Satan has nothing in me or nothing on me when, when it came to temptation. In other words, there was nothing internal that Satan could exploit in the life of Jesus. He was so perfect. But he's got something in us. And sometimes he can just leave us because there's enough in us. And that's why we must be very careful. Now, James does later go on two occasions in the book to talk about Satan's role in our temptation. But right here, right up front, James is wanting every one of us who name the name of Christ, every one of us who have this gold identity, he wants us to know we've got this fifth column inside of us and we need to take responsibility for our own compromises and our own sin. And there's no hope for overcoming temptation if we don't own that. But hope begins, brilliant hope begins, when we recognize some of our own skewed desires. And so, again, this word uh, lust, which means uh, sinful or disordinate desires, some of those desires can be legitimate, like, like uh, wanting food. But if I, if I go and steal food to meet my hunger, my, my, my need uh, uh, has been skewed toward sinfulness, or I can be hungry, but then overeat, like the guy at the donut shop. Uh, and the same is true with uh, uh, you know, natural desires and appetites like sleep, uh, 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 sexuality. These are God-given desires. And there is a healthy way. The same fire that can warm a house can burn it down. And God wants us to know that uh, the gifts he's give up, given us have to be stewarded uh, with his sanctifying wisdom. And of course, just because you've been tempted doesn't mean you've sinned. Some of the things can come to us, and I've been had many times where I felt like, oops, uh, I started to, that initial thought, it's only when we start to feed that thought like uh, sitting in the waiting room somewhere and you open a magazine and oops, there's this beautiful girl, nowhere near as beautiful as Sue, which helps. Uh, but uh, I mean, silliness aside, there's that sense in which you can see, wow, that's not evil or sinful until I start to meditate around what would it like to be intimate with that person. I've got no relationship, no history, but just the force of some of uh, what's presented to our minds in those moments can be, can be really difficult. Uh, I can either flirt with that or, or close that da- those thoughts down, and I can, like Titus says, say no to ungodliness. And it's also important to understand in this room, we're all tempted in very different ways. And we must be very careful of, uh, of kind of, feel, of, of, of uh, despising other people's areas of temptation because you're not tempted like that. There's a pride that can kick in. We need to realize we're all tempted in different ways. And even if you've never compromised, your great temptation will be to pride. Self-righteousness. I am the most, uh, I'm the big winner in the room. But that's not us. And so... 
James's first big point is to overcome temptation, we must recognize this fifth column in us, its source. It's not from God. It is from our own disordinate desires. The second thing under uh, uh, the source and now the force, to overcome temptation, we must realize that uh, temptation is a massive force. Have you ever felt the force of temptation? I have felt that. I have felt the force of temptation, in the, particularly in the early years of my Christianity and trying to, uh, trying to walk a straight road, having been, before I became a Christian, experienced sexual awakenings, kind of stuff, and I had patterns of thought and behavior that needed to be adjusted in my life. And I remembered even when I got the goal, this new identity, I realized there was this the shadow part that wanted to assert itself. And uh, listen to this language, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. From the message, it says, the temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust. There's a sense in which uh, uh, this is not detached. Temptation is not detached with strong feelings and even with a measure of deceit. And so James shows three ways in which temptation can can be a power that destroys Firstly, this power dwells. Now, we've, we've established that, but we've got, to, we've got to admit to it. This notion that, uh, you know, I can put it to bed, to sleep. and it, it's, it, So Charles Simeon, the guy who started Simeon Trust, like a whole expository movement of the Scriptures, he uses the analogy and he says, uh, what, we, what we're carrying uh, about within ourselves is inflammable material inflammable material. If we're not careful, temptation can strike and cause a spark causing an explosion in our, in our lives. And so there's this sense in that, in that it dwells. Okay, we bank that tick. Secondly, the force of temptation is that it, is, it, it has a very deceptive and emotional element. It says each one is carried away and enticed by his own lust or disordered desires. And what James has got in mind here is fishing. Fishing. The fish sees the bait on the hook and is enticed or lured toward it, thinking it will get a meal. It takes a bite of the hook and the bait and becomes the meal. It's a, that's the insidious notion. There is, you think initially when temptation comes, it's going to promise this wonderful uh, uh, sense of uh, gratification. It's going to meet a need. It's going to satisfy us with good things, but instead it hooks us and drags us off to destruction. So I have to admit to the fact that uh, I, I have a Garmin watch. Garmin watch has also got within it uh, access to um, golf courses. I'm a bit of a golfer, and, and what happens is sometimes when I get to the 
seventh hole at Rondebosch, uh, not Rondebosch, uh, Robertson Golf Course. It's got this big uh, dam in front of it. And I look at my watch and it says 150 meters to go, okay? But yours truly, every now and then, knows better. There's another voice that says to me, you can, it's not a, it's not a six iron, it is a seven iron. Use the seven iron. Back yourself. You can do this thing. Don't submit to this. And of course, I have paid enough school fees to know now, I am going to keep, I'm going to start to say no to that deceptive voice. I'm not going to back my own wisdom. I'm not going to be that guy who listens to the voice of the stranger within. And I'm going to, and of course, this is code for yielding to God, to yielding to God's wisdom, to yielding to Scripture. And temptation can very often uh, have a face of terrible, uh, it, it sort of wants to push back our sense of pride and say, you can handle this, don't overreact. No, yeah, just a small thing, you know. So not only is temptation, doesn't, it not only does it dwell within us, it has a powerful, deceptive, emotional element where we start to not just, we start to not just, uh, uh, we start to listen to ourselves in a way that's not helpful. We've got to learn to speak to ourselves and say no to ungodliness. And then the force of temptation is that it has a life of its own. So Rigby, what do you mean by that? It has a life of its own. Well, James says that uh, it pictures that desires out of control and this language of after these inordinate desires conceive after the seed of temptation gets into us, it has, a, it, it has a life of its own. Today's choices shape tomorrow's patterns, shape tomorrow's character. Somebody said, watch your thoughts, they can become words. Watch your words, they can become actions. Watch your actions, they can become habits. Watch your habits, they can become character. Watch your character. It will become destiny. It will shape your whole life. Have you ever seen a, a tree growing out of a sidewalk, concrete sidewalk, and suddenly a tree has sprung up out of there? Something happened. Long before that tree just existed, a, a seed fell into a crack in the concrete. A seed uh, uh, and, and uh, undealt with watered through bad patterns over many years, suddenly this tree grows through and uh, has a life all of its own. So to overcome temptation, we need to recognize the source. Not God, it is me. We need to recognize the force that it dwells within us that it has powerful and deceptive elements that go along with it, and that it has a life of its own. It can, if uh, yielded to, uh, shape us in ways that we, we never anticipated. And last big point, and then we're going to just do some practical advice and pray. To avoid and overcome temptation, we have to recognize its course. And you say, yes, okay, I see the other stuff. But where is it going to take me? This is so important. When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. 
And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. That's interesting. Message says, lust gets pregnant and has a baby. Sin. Sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. James is showing that sin yielded to is never stationary. It has a way of requiring more of us. It has a way of occupying our inner life in ways that are destructive. And he uses the language, it's moving hideously, slowly toward an outcome which is called death. For the Christian who's got gold, the death is theirs, not eternal separation. It's more to do with total loss of the true gold of life, which is fellowship with Jesus. We start to live with shame. We start to live with condemnation. We start to live with disordinate desires, end up with disproportionate guilt. And we don't live in the freedom that is ours. Like a small crack in a dam. If we don't learn to repair that early, there's the potential for chaos down the road. And then James does something very interesting. He contrasts in the passage death in verse 15 with the crown of life. It's early on in the chapter, but again in verse 12, it's the, it's the crown of life. God is wanting us to have this crown of life. He wants to crown our lives with his favor, with his blessing, with his joy, with his peace. And yet he would come to people who've got gold and he would warn them around tremendous loss of spiritual inheritance and of the goodness of God. It almost seems like there's, there's a fork in the road moment here. Think about it. It's, is it death or is it crown of life? The horrible thing about temptation is when you start yielding to temptation, it's almost like a very small fork in the road right at the beginning. That's what it feels like. Promising so much, delivering so little when we yield to it. Destructive. But at that point, you don't know that you're choosing life or death. You've just made the wrong choice. And the trajectory of that, it's like Psalm 1. Two men, two ways, two destinies. We find that we've sacrificed so much for a, a plate of porridge, for a temporary blessing. So temptation never comes to us at that fork in the road and says, I've got a plan to help you destroy yourself. It doesn't do that. It doesn't ask the question, would you like to disgrace God's name in your life, in your church? It doesn't start like that. Rather, it comes with the enticement that says, this will be fun, this will meet your need. And what can it hurt to just simply try it this once. But it doesn't work like that. Sam Aubrey says we like to think that giving into sin is a way of just getting it out of our system. Oh, oh boys will be boys, just, just getting it out of our system. Girls will be girls. And if we indulge it just once, it'll go away and leave us alone. But, alone. but it's that fork in the road Dynamic And God is coming hard after us in this passage because he loves us. We heard it today. He cares about us. And he knows that we're only going to live as gold the most satisfying lives when we've learned to set new trajectories for our lives. 
My mate Donny Griggs says in America, he says, a boat without an engine, if it hasn't got a course, if it's not directed in the right, when you're at the fork of the road, you've got to, you've got to choose life. And he says, a boat without an engine never drifts to anything good. It always drifts into trouble. And that's what the gospel does. It gives us this new identity, gives us this new power to come and live in us. And so James can be really tough with us in this passage because he knows the danger. John Owen said, be killing sin or sin be killing you. So conclusion, if I were to leave right now and say, well, I hope you've been warned and I hope you're going to pull yourself up by your boot laces. You see, James doesn't go into a great, what is the gospel promise here? And I've got to stay faithful to my brief, but I can exercise leadership license and say, next week it all makes sense. Because Easter is coming and Good Friday is before us and Resurrection Sunday promises us amazing stuff. It says, yes, you've got this new identity, but you're not just left fighting sin on the inside on your own. You need to know Jesus died to deliver you from the penalty of sin. So even if you have yielded to some shadow stuff, there's enough grace in the gospel to forgive you your sin and release you from the power of condemnation guilt. And not only did he die to release us from the penalty of sin, he rose again to deliver us from its power. And now he says, you have no obligation to that old shadow light. Your obligation is to this gold. It's to this gospel. It's to the spirit. It's to this new empowering that indwells you. You can now put off that old man and put on the old man, the new man, and you can reckon yourself dead. In other words, you don't have an obligation to that thing that is shadow, but it doesn't have to be the dominant force in your life when the indwelling of the Spirit can be that. And that's what Easter sets us up. And through the resurrection, it guarantees not only deliverance from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, but also deliverance from the presence of sin while we live in this fallen world with all its external triggers that have a way of getting to me we can beat this stuff. And so four little practical bits of advice. Number one, know your own vulnerabilities and have someone to share them with. We've all got vulnerabilities. Even if yours is just pride, tell somebody you need help to grow in humility. I would say share them with something. If it's sexual pressure, I have found over 40 years of ministry, don't share that stuff with your best friend Share it with leadership because too many people are battling in that area and you might not get the best advice. You need to share it with leadership. And the same would be, would be true with marital issues. Very dangerous about saying, oh, we're having marriage issues and then we share it with everyone else except bringing loving, servant-hearted pastors, elders, to help us come through these things. Secondly, avoid things that create... Uh, uh, that create or feed tempting situations. Sometimes we have to avoid going to certain places. Sometimes we need to hang out. We need to avoid hanging out with certain people. That's why I don't hang out with Roger on the golf course because <laughs> he always tempts me to envy. He hits the ball way further than me. Anyway, just a, a lighter moment. If you're struggling with pornography, uh, 
get into redemption group. Let's, let's be a people that stand with each other when we go through these kind of things. We do not want to have a culture of shame because there are people with gold who are being tormented by shadow. Helpful? Thirdly, make a new or deeper commitment to follow Jesus and flee temptation. Keep your love for Christ fresh. We heard about love. God loves you. He loves you with your shadows, without your shadows dominating your life. He loves you. Don't allow your fork in the road moments to not have Jesus present helping you. And the final big one, which involves all of us, Galatians 6 verse 1 to 2 says, if you see someone fallen in a sin or a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. You know what, you know what Paul's saying? If you see anybody fall out of shadow uh, a vulnerability or into shadow vulnerability, you who are spiritual, who's he talking to? The whole church. As a community, we all need to help each other overcome our shadows, and that's why small groups can't afford to be superficial. James talks about later, confess your sins to one another. We're not, there's a wisdom to that, and I don't want to get into the weeds on that, but I, I just want to say we're not going to overcome sin and temptation on our own. We need one another to help us. And it says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one, and do it in a spirit of gentleness. We don't wear sheriff badges. We're not the moral police. In a spirit of gentleness. And what's the next verse? You better know this one. If you don't know this, I'm never coming back. (laughs) The next verse says, and watch yourselves, lest you also are tempted. What's, what's, What's Paul saying? He says, we're all as vulnerable to shadow and sin and temptation as everyone else. So Easter's coming, and uh, hear this message against the backdrop of Easter. You're amazing people. I'd love just to pray for us. Won't you stand your feet as we, as we land this, this time together? Bow your heads with me. Let's be before the Lord. Let's, let's be before Him without condemnation. Let's be before him in the security of his love. Let's thank God for these amazing scriptures that accept us as we are. But this loving God, he doesn't leave us as we are. He comes after us in sanctifying grace. Lord, I want to thank you for every man and woman and every family represented here. We're all so different and we... we, uh, by your grace, (laughs) have been rescued from having to generate our own identities. What an amazing gift that you you found a way to rescue us, make us your own. Thank you for elective grace that takes rebels, turns them into friends. Thank you for elective grace that takes orphans, turns them into sons and daughters. Thank you for our friends among us that are exploring faith truth is, there's not one of us that can generate the kind of identity that you give. It's purely by grace, purely by the loving kindness of God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for our adoption into your family.
And today, Lord, I want to pray that you would help us to set a course, to love you ferociously, to honor you, to set a trajectory for our lives that the course to love and serve and honor you is, is becoming stronger and stronger and that these voices of temptation that seek to awaken our shadow self would be increasingly disempowered, silenced as we learn to put on this new man created in Christ Jesus to be like you in true holiness. So we welcome you, we thank you, pray for your empowering presence. Jesus, won't you come to us Hold us freshly in your love. Won't you assure our hearts? Some of us, Lord, are, are struggling with shame because of things we did in the last 24 hours or the last week or maybe even some of the secret things we've yielded to and they've become patterns. And I cry out to you, Lord, in your mercy and grace. Won't you rescue us? Give us the courage to step into the light, to come toward you, to find those trusted voices. You give us this fresh call to be a restoring community, to do it with gentleness, to do it with humility, knowing that we're as vulnerable. So to that end, we thank you for today. Thank you for this amazing book. Thank you that we can overcome temptation by knowing its source, its force, and its course. But then we lift our eyes to see the source of all grace, the force of all grace, and the course of ever-sustaining sufficiency of grace. All this in your name, for your glory. Everyone said, Amen. Thank you, guys. I hope that was helpful. Let's sing.